0: Hello and welcome to another live broadcast from the Ottawa Business Journal. I'm Michael Curran. Today's show is titled, Putting Data at the Center of Your Business. You know, there's a saying that goes something like this, without data, you're just a person with another opinion. You know, think about it, really. Data is uh, at the center of the business decisions we need to, to make these days. And right now, a lot of companies understand the importance of data, but they're simply overwhelmed by the sheer volume of it. I think I can say that from uh, from our perspective here at the Ottawa Business Journal, uh, many companies lack the strategy and the means to leverage that data. And whether you're wondering where to start or how to get more value from the data, today's show is for you. To help us explore all of this, we've got a great guest, a true expert in this field. Please welcome the Director of Internal Projects for Spiria, David Kretz. Hello, David. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. This is a topic I think that a lot of people uh, struggle with, uh, David, uh, so I'm happy to be here and happy that we're going to share your expertise uh, with our audience today. But let's just start by uh, learning a little bit more about Spiria. What, what is the company? What does it do?
1: Uh, sure, I'll talk I'll talk about Spiria first. Uh, Spiria is a service company. Uh, we engineer digital products that simplify the world. Uh, tersely, we build ideas for clients and help bring their versions uh, their visions to life.
0: That's good. And, and tell us about your role at Spiria, David.
1: So I'm the director of internal projects here. We manage a collection of in-house projects that contribute to the process development of our internal teams. We onboard and manage a dynamic team of developers. So we make sure that new hires coming in uh, understand our tools so that they're ready for client projects. We validate and develop internal data collections and the reporting initiatives for a lot of the internal teams here at Spiria. And we also run internships from time to time, looking for those diamonds in the rough to help us move our client projects
0: forward. Good good for you. Always looking for new talent. That's so important these days. And um, David, uh, data might is one of those subjects that's a little bit nebulous, right? A little undefined for people. So just before we get into uh, it, our discussion here today, I was hoping you could give us some quick like bullet point almost examples of what a data project could look like. Sure. Sure. Uh, we'll
1: start with uh, complete compu- concussion management. So we helped healthcare professionals provide better care for concussion patients and further their research. So we provided a, a space where all of the healthcare professionals could be looking at the same data so that there was no overlap of information coming to the patients. Uh, Eventco was an accelerated um, decision-making process uh, that helped the event organizers and the promoters with an immediate return on investment an immediate ROI. Jitney Trade was one of our clients where we helped improve their user growth by developing a secure and financial platform for one of their online investment, for an online investment broker, not one of them for an online investment broker. So this company was purely data driven um, and, and very much uh, a culture around data. Shutterstock, as you might have heard of, uh, we helped improve trend tracking and supply management for a sales analytics pro uh, platform that they were Creating And a final company that uh, really aligns with what we're talking about today is SGS Co, which Spiria helped reduce the processing cost and the manual operations for their brand asset management platform by standardizing their processes. So we had to um, partner up with one of their third party data platforms to make sure that we were trained up and uh, were, were providing the right kind of service for their needs.
0: Um, Great examples, Uh, by the way, I should point out that some of those examples are on your website. So if you want to, if uh, viewers or listeners want to uh, uh, learn more about those, you can visit the Sperry website. So David, we've, uh, as we always do, divided, uh, set a little bit of an agenda. Maybe I'll put it that way uh, for today's show. And we're going to walk viewers through it uh, right now. Uh, So the first thing we're going to look at is creating a data-driven culture. And then we'll talk about the repeating nature of data data innovation, data transformation, uh, data analysis. And then we're gonna take a little bit of a deep dive into a case study and uh, end up with a Q&A session. So just a reminder for everyone watching on YouTube, if you're logged into the platform, you can uh, ask questions. We've got a moderator looking out for those and that will come at the very end of the show. So let's, let's dive uh, into this, uh, uh, David, and we're gonna talk about creating a data-driven culture. Tell us about this.
1: Okay, so before we jump into what it means to be a data-driven culture, I think it's important that we take a step back and we sort of look at what does it mean to be a data-driven person or an individual. So being data-driven means that you make decisions, whether good or bad, you know, hopefully strategic decisions, and those decisions are based on data analysis and interpretation. You want to be making inferences from your data. Being data-driven also means that you're using or building tools, you're cultivating abilities, and being a part of cultures that act on data. So as humans, we inherently are attracted to data and data helps us understand the world around us. So it makes sense that culturing that attraction can have a positive impact on our businesses when done correctly, of course. So let's move now into, you know how do you start creating a data-driven culture within your organization? So the key aspect of creating a data-driven culture is the process of making data accessible to as many people as possible in your organization, internal and external. So you know, employees and clients are, are just as important to engage with data. The reasons why you wanna make that data accessible is so that you can ensure that your decisions are being anchored in data that's tangible, easily understood and business focused. So your data needs to be shared here in different formats across all levels of your corporation. People at different levels will have different knowledge of data and they will intersect with your data in different ways. So that being said, if you want to start creating a dialogue through data, you have to start at the top of your organization. It's really important that you start pushing data down so that people can relate to the data that you're trying to get brought back up into your organization. Um, so right now, we'll quickly show here a tool that uh, was developed by Spiria and managed through the internal projects team. Um, it was a uh, it's a, our timesheet app, and essentially this is how we allow our employees to um, to communicate through to our clients. There's sometimes not a direct approach, um, so we need to create invoicing. We have to have PMS who are managing the teams. We need to know where people are spending their time because as a service company, that's how we create revenue uh, having people working on client projects so this is just an example of you know a a scenario where a company has created a tool that supports the needs of their data-driven culture so here oh sorry go
0: ahead oh no uh, please go ahead i was going to jump in with a question but i'll wait uh, or an observation but please go ahead on i think you're going to talk about the engagement tool
1: um it's just important that uh that you know, a data-driven culture invests in the creation and the use of the tools to support the data needs across the organization.
0: Yeah, my observation on this, and I'm glad you started talking about people, by the way. So it's it's interesting to me that we're having a technology conversation, but you're saying people. I, I love that, awesome. and it, you know, just reflecting on my own time in business, uh, David. You know, there's a concept that transparent companies, you know, are more powerful because more people are engaged, and what you're saying. Is there should be a level of transparency around that data? I love it. So, in the timesheet, I'm just thinking about this. If a if an organization was sharing timesheets or workflows publicly, think about just through simple data, the level of uh, unity. Or understanding that creates. So I love that example. We're going to talk about the repeating nature of data, which you know I think all of us realize that's that's where we feel overwhelmed because data never stops. But uh, explain the concept of the repeating nature of data for us, David.
1: Sure. Um, so when I put together this diagram, this data lifecycle flow diagram. Uh, The goal was to define a high-level flow that applies to the multiple areas of a data-driven business. Okay, So I wanted to have something that anybody who is starting to invest time and effort into a data-driven culture can place themselves and move forward in. Ultimately, this diagram also shows you that data in its own way is a is a cyclical process. It's something that you need to continue to refine and to uh, engage with over time. Um, and there's a real human element to this diagram as well. It really reflects how we as humans interpret data. We pull them through our senses, um, we store that information that's important to us, and then we, we do actions based on that data, and then we continue that cycle over time. So, you know, talking about a data-driven culture, it's really important that you engage that aspect of, of, of the human element so you want to make sure that your employees um, are engaged that they feel important to your process that they're that you create documentation around the data and you show how it's used this this inherently creates trust in the retention of employee data so not a lot of people, are are keen on on being micromanaged. So you need to make sure that the outcome of that data really emits a positive value for the company. It's not just to keep an eye on you, but it's also to engage outwardly to to clients. Uh, Your clients and your end users also want to be engaged um, and you want to create business relations and continued use of your product. So it's really important to use data on the outwards uh, side of your organization as well. So moving towards a data-driven culture really allows you to cultivate and utilize your data to create relationships and communication through your data so this is really important creating dialogue with your data so so this dialogue then creates actions between the parties and those actions become more exact they become more efficient um, when data is your underlying language
0: and uh, as we bring that uh, diagram up by the way david uh I like that people will be able to identify or self-identify where they're at. So keep glancing and trying for our audience today. Take a look at where where am I in this process? And uh, that will feed into today's discussion. The next concept we wanna talk about, uh, David, is data innovation. So mm-hmm. again, let's, uh, let's get into this. So for me, I come from a development background.
1: Innovation is one of the most exciting aspects of, of being data-driven. Um, you're, you're creating something new through innovation. So today we're talking about being a data-driven culture. I think the, the part of innovation that fits the most is, is the idea of building proof of concepts, um, you know, putting time into solutions that improve on, on the products that you're creating. So proof of, proof of concepts inherently can have a high potential in creating efficiency. So whether it's the tooling that you're using or it's directly related to your product development, to get the most out of your proof of concepts, you need to make sure that they're visually lean and that they exact results. They have to actually show that they solve a solution for you. So this is critical about proof of concepts. So, well, you know, we'll jump into integration and delivery. We'll talk about proof of concepts in, in a couple seconds again, but integration and delivery also in the same bubble as innovation, they tend to be tied together. And you tend to be looking looking at processing quality um, as you are uh, working through integration and delivery. So um, here, tooling plays a super important role in enriching and promoting the right data to your various teams. there's a diagram here, it's a burn-down chart. I don't know if any of you guys use JIRA, but as a software development company, we track our issues that need to be developed by our developers. And then we need to know where we're at in that time frame of a release schedule. So for us, a burn-down chart is a really useful tool to share across the different levels of an organization, to, to speak that, that language of, of data and to ensure that everyone knows where we're at as we're progressing through a delivery. So, whether you're using a tool like jira or tracking your employee time through a custom tool or writing documentation in a wiki it's important that in a data-driven culture your 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 organization is committed to these tools from the top down okay the whole organization needs to embrace these tools and and by embracing them you you're also ensuring that the appropriate needs of those tools are available to support the teams using them So I'm just gonna step back quickly to the proof of concept here. So sometimes when you're developing proof of concepts, innovation, you can fall into uh, a technical debt category. So technical debt uh, applies to a lot of different business types, but in this particular case, um, a proof of concept where you go directly from innovation to delivery skips that integration step. So somebody creates this amazing value for your company, but then you throw it directly into production and you create this little divot inside your product quality. So it's really important um, to engage your technical debt because if you don't over time, you will build on top of that little divot and more and more pieces of your production or your product will, will start um, uh, getting less effective over time. So the, the amount of, of time it takes for delivery might uh, might increase because you, you're not looking at your technical debt <clears throat> excuse me, it's important to gauge your technical debt. Like I said,
0: yeah, the, um, uh, g- some good points there, by the way, we're getting some good comments. Uh, thank you to Kevin uh, Conroy and thanks to Jonathan Primo. We'll get to those uh, comments and I'll throw them at David in, in just a, a second uh, here. And I get your point on technical debt. Like you need to address those issues before just to, just to use that analogy, you're too, you're in a deep hole that you can't climb out of. And uh, and the project is at risk. So um, uh, great, uh, great points there, David. Uh, we're going to talk about data transformation. Uh, we're going to go back, and, and and just in a second, we'll bring up that diagram so people can think about that. But let's get into data transformation now, David. For sure. Um, so looking at the diagram
1: again, data transformation, uh, retention, and storage is you know a critical part of data in general. Um, it can get a little dry here and it could be chock full of buzzwords like infosec and devops or cloud no sql i don't think that that conversation applies to what we're talking about today i I think because we're looking at being a data-driven culture the goal here is that you make the data that you're retaining available so back to that data democratization you want to make sure that your data is available that it's secure but it also is layered in a way that different levels of your organization can access the correct data for their needs for us we have uh, employees we give them access to their own data uh, pms have access to their developer data they also have access to the, the uh, project data and the client data that they're that they're managing directors so on and so forth so uh, by by providing data to your, to your organization layers, you're enabling each group in your structure to cultivate their own dialogues and actions through their specific data sets. So being a data-driven culture is really about enabling that dialogue between the levels of your organization and not siloing them. You, your goal is to remove silos. You want, you want your layers to be effective at
0: talking with each other. So that this le- next topic is is the one that really kind of appeals to me because I'm a business operator. Uh, so, you know, I want that data to make really smart decisions. So we're going to talk about analysis and visualization. This is the one that gets me uh, excited, David, so take it away. Sure. Uh, so we'll just take a quick look at the diagram one more time. So once you've got data, once
1: you're uh, retaining that data and storing it, then there's the step of analyzing it. So really analysis here is the heart of being a data-driven culture. Uh, Proper analysis of your data is crucial to understanding inefficiencies of your your product or your development processes. Um, And it's also important in setting goals within your organization. So ultimately, this means that when you're analyzing your data, you need to start by asking the right questions. So most of you have probably heard about KPIs, Key Performance Indicators. KPIs offer a vast collection of metrics to aid teams in understanding processes and to help organizations in finding value. So that means that, you know, finding the right KPIs can be quite easy. Google, Google is your friend here. If you wanna understand what layers you should be looking at what KPIs, the research is very available on the, online. So what the difficulty is with KPIs is that for your organization, you need to find the right targets, and you know you need to know when to course correct. So course correction on KPIs is really critical, um, and you need to know when to course correct as those values change over time. So I'll dig a little bit into KPIs in general. Um, it's, it's high level, but it's to get you started on the on a, on the on the path to you know cultivating that data driven culture through uh, through your data and creating the metrics that help you speak with that data. So when you, when you are picking KPIs again, you need to ask the right questions. So your goals need to be specific, but more importantly, you need to set realistic goals. So you don't want to set huge milestone goals on revenue uh, throughout a year because that that can create a lot of stress with your company. You really want to show uh, growth targets. So we're here and let's get to here uh, quarter per quarter, let's say. And a good way to do that is to use ratios and ranges. So you make sure that you're rooted in your current state and you you say, hey, let's try and get uh, 2% more uh, revenue by the end of the third quarter, okay? These are metrics that speak a lot better to people and they're much more easier to digest within your teams. Um, It's also important that you step away from vanity metrics, okay? So there are metrics that will tell you stuff, but they don't bring value with their information. So things like site hits or daily downloads, you can create bots that can generate Massive amounts of these of these uh, data, uh, but they don't really give you any value to your to the understanding of how how people are using your your product. So you need to focus on things like you know active site usage or referral rates um, when you're looking at finding metrics that bring value. Coming back to the human aspect of of, of data, it's it's really easy to get quantitative data, okay, numeric data. It's what Computers do, right? They give us all of that data if we leverage them correctly. It's the qualitative side of things that really can be um, Difficult to attain. So things like user feedback uh, your team's emotional quotients usually qualitative feedback It comes in a textual form or it's a um, It's sort of uh, a bias uh, if you're looking at emotional quotients so you, you really need to spend time and put effort into going through this data, understanding this data, and leveraging it with your quantitative data. Both together are much more informant than one or the other alone. In KPIs, so I'm still, I'm still working through the KPIs here. I've got a couple more points for you guys. In KPIs, you need to employ lagging and leading indicators. So things like revenue, profit, cost, These are all lagging indicators things that change over time but only bring you up to a certain point when you're looking at leading indicators uh and we'll take for example here product quality we talked about that earlier product quality proof of concepts you know creating negative product quality by pushing proof of concept concepts through product quality can tell you how much harder it will be to meet your deliverables And to hit profit targets as time goes on so the more complex your product gets or um, the more uh, technical debt you incur on your product it can actually start making it harder for your teams to produce so you know you might have a fully green uh, set of lagging variables profit cost these are all saying hey we're going to hit our targets for the year but when you start looking internally as you start looking at the human side of things um, you can you can start seeing that, okay, we've actually created a huge negative impact on our product quality, we can't, our, our employee retention is, is going down and, and we're not meeting the actual deliveries that we're, um, we're promising against. So you really need to make sure that you're looking at both sides of where you are when you're looking at your KPIs and collecting groups of KPIs to understand value. And, and lastly, you know you need to leverage the trends over periods of time. So you want to know if your product is uh, more useful during a, a specific quarter. You also want to find about information about when you should be stocking uh, shelves with your product, if that's what your business is about. For us, you know, we want to know what kind of clients we engage with, uh, what time of year specific clients uh, tend to come to us for for project work. Um, you also want to look at your customer base and you know age groups and gender. You know. Looking at all of this stuff can really give you a well, well-rounded vision of, of who is using your product and why they're using your product. And it's really important uh, in terms of lever- leveraging trends uh, to look at your competitors as well. So if you wanna look at yourself compared to someone else, your competitors are your best uh, your best course of action. This can help you keep your teams on your toes and also make sure that you're providing the right kind of environment for your for your team so that they stick around. Um, So at the end of it here, you know, KPIs on a high level, there's a lot of stuff to think about, there's a lot of questions to ask. It's really important not to overdo it. You do not want to jam a whole bunch of KPIs together because that's what your research brought up in Google and just drop that in as your dashboard. You want to make sure that you're keeping things simple to the point
0: and, you know, again, I can't stress it enough, you have to start with
1: asking the right questions.
0: Yeah, I like I like those points on on KPIs, uh, so critical to determine you know what you should be measuring, and uh, I like your point on vanity metrics. Right, we can get wrapped up in in uh, page views or or stuff like that, but it's you know you need to be looking at the more important. Uh, uh, the more important metrics. So, David, I think we're going to take a look at a sample project. So I feel like we've given people a crash course, like in in just 20 minutes. It's incredible sure. uh, of thinking about data, how to be more of a data-driven organization. Uh, let's get into that sample project a little bit so so we can bring this home for people. Sure. I,
1: I would really like to touch on, before we get to that case study, on documentation. Oh, and, yes, And yes. how important documentation is. Yes. Um, So I'm just going to quickly pull up a slide here and this slide is a a flow of how we calculate uh, utilization within our company. Obviously keeping people working on client projects is a critical part of our revenue creation. you know, and it's not here to, to scare you a documentation is an evil and it can be complex or simple. It's just to show you that, you know, there are multiple ways for you to create dialogue with your data. So here I can talk to the higher levels about why we've done this calculation. Um, and I can also share this with with employees who want to know, you know, why we're, why we're retaining their data through timesheet, um, and, and the needs that we have as a company to make sure we keep being a company, so it's really important here that that you engage um, as much as you can, and documentation is a real key part. So you want to communicate why and how data is important, and also ensure that for people who are interested in getting into the dialogue with data, that that they have stepping stones um, into into uh, into the organization at the different layers. So you want to help others understand those key metrics and their importance, and provide um, provide a language so that you know, the engagement between layers becomes, um, becomes uh, uh, more concrete, and that these layers can then start doing
0: actions as a result of their understanding of this data. Thank, thanks for that last point. That was an important point. So let, let's now move into that sample yes. project again, to, to, bring thing home, to bring things home, so to speak, David, to tell sure. us about this project. Sure.
1: So, you know, looking at a recent case study here at Spiria, we had a client that had a pre-existing machine lear- learning project. They had already built a proof of concept, um, and they came to us looking for um, a rebuild of that proof of concept to make it a little bit more, um, a little bit more product quality, let's say, and allow it to expand with the needs of of what they were hoping to do with their machine learning module. So this project really touches across the whole the whole part of that diagram, it's kind of the full Monty of the types of projects that we do here at Speria. Um, the innovation part had us, you know, working with the client to understand the new requirements that they had and also the, the, the working requirements that they had in their proof of concept to, to really build out a, a fully potential project for them. We also did the integration step um, and the delivery step. So, the, that, that, that top part of the diagram it was, a, was, a, was a fully encompassed part of the project work that we did. The project was meant to allow patients and doctors to interface with each other. The machine learning project was, um, was built to help doctors understand diagnosis and to, um, and to help with prescribing and, and to also make sure that um, a collection of doctors looking at the same patient weren't uh, prescribing things that would complicate uh, things for that patient. So there was a lot of data going through here. We also had a lot of compliance issues. So that data retention, storage, um, and uh, and and transformation was a real key uh, role that Spiria played with this, with this client. We needed to make sure that the data was secure, that only the specific people that should see that data could see that data. And we had to go through a lot of documentation steps to make sure that we were meeting the compliance needs now, from an analysis and visualization standpoint, um, our goal here was to definitely make this look good. So it was being presented to doctors, it was being presented to patients, and we also had to make sure that the data was accurate. So you know, at that last step, we weren't necessarily doing a lot of analyzing of the data, but we definitely had to provide a, a critical role in the visualization of that data. So again, a full multi-project where our client was a data-driven culture um, and they were creating a data-driven culture, it was a data-driven client creating a data-driven culture and us as a data-driven culture we're interfacing with them. And we really had to push that boundary of communicating with data as we as we grew with that client over time.
0: Very neat. Very neat. And it, it did bring things back into focus there, uh, David. Uh, for uh, Thanks for that. So we did have a couple comments. I'm just going to bring them on screen here. Uh, you don't really need to, to react to them, just some interesting comments. Uh, here's one. Transparency, where possible, will lead to better collaboration, better decisions. I'm sure you probably agree with that one. Absolutely. Uh, Jonathan Primo chimed in saying, uh, I'm addicted to data. Literally <laughs> spend hours playing around with data like Google Sheets, especially anything related to finance. He really, he really likes um, <clears throat> Python uh, Panda to play around data for the team. Absolutely. And this one's actual question for you. Uh, Dan Moorcroft is asking you as a mid-sized organization using industry-standard SaaS tools, as well as workspace uh what's the best canvas for data analysis thanks
1: uh that's a great question and um you know the answers aren't always easy it's okay <laughs> yeah it's important that um you you look for what's available within the tools that you're using um office 365 uh, you know might provide you with some power bi licenses you know based on the connection you have with microsoft um, there's a lot of uh, external tools that can interface with a lot of these products, so it's really about you know starting with what it is, what is it that you need, understanding those KPIs, and then um, working with your with your teams to 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 help find those tools that will support those KPIs. You might find that you already have what you need. You know, here at Spirea, uh, Jira wasn't giving us everything, so we've created tools that interface directly with our with our tooling that allow us to create even more verbose reports for our clients. So it's really up to you as as an organization to to dialogue with with the data that you need and to come up with the solution specific to your needs.
0: Good, good stuff. And David, I'm sure there are people watching today. So we've given them the crash course. We've given them a couple of great examples. Uh, People out there watching or listening to us saying, you know, I wonder what it would be like to work with Spiria. So uh, maybe walk us through a little bit. If someone has a question and we're going to give you contact information, by the way, in just a second here, but if someone has a question, what would the process look like if you're, you know, if you're vetting this idea and scoping it out, how long would that take and what sort of budget should they have uh, before they come to a company like Spiria? So
1: initially the starting point with Spiria is just opening the lines of communication. Uh, we respond to RFPs. Uh, we also respond to direct requests. Uh, we have an email link that we'll bring up at the end of the, of the show here for anyone who's interested in, in throwing a project our way and seeing uh, whether or not it fits the work that we do for you. In terms of, in terms of process, you know, we'll look at a new project. We'll see if it fits our, our delivery. Um, as a company, and then we'll start piecemealing it into buckets. Usually, we'll do a discovery step, which has us, uh, you know, okay. So first off, we'll we'll talk about budgets. So um, you know, we want to. That's usually what most people want to know first. How much is it going to cost me? So uh, we we do a, an initial estimate on that on that cost. If things go well, we work into a, a discovery phase. So that's us really getting into the nitty gritty of what this project is. Did we miss anything at the pre-sale step? Making sure that we're we're fully developing the requirements of the projects that we're about to develop for our clients. Um, From there, budgets might change a bit, but it also gives us a chance to, to break the project down into pieces. So something that is a Um, you know, a million dollar budget, we might be able to get an MVP out uh, at a smaller fraction of that cost so that, you know, the client can then go and look for funding, for more funding for the rest of the build-out of the project. So we're really about engaging at the start. We want to understand what you want, but also provide you with the best case scenarios that we understand from a development process to to get you out the door and get your product in front of people. Budget-wise, you know, we go from, you know, 20,000 and up usually, but we're, we're very open, like I said. So if something comes in and it's an interesting thing to us um, and we want to engage with it, we'll start that discussion and, and we'll get back to you for sure.
0: That's, that's good. I, I really get the sense that uh, uh Spiri, and I was reading a little bit about its origin stories, very people focused and, you know, really trying to get at those uh, business challenges with great technology solutions. So, David, uh, wow, time flies. Uh, yes. we're, we've come to the end of the show, but uh, certainly we want to let people know how they can contact Spiria. So, we'll bring up that uh, graphic on screen and you can uh, give us a sense of uh, of uh, how to contact Spiria. Sure. Um, so, new project at spiria.com.
1: Any ideas that you have, wherever you are in your current uh, uh, business delivery, uh, we'll, we're happy to have a conversation with you guys to help you move your product forward, to help to create a whole new product in its own right. Um, I also want to say thank you for everybody who uh, who joined us today. I, I hope that the information I've shared with you has been engaging, and I hope that it continues the exploration of a connection between data and culture within your own organizations.
0: Yeah, I think you did a great job, uh, David. And it, it, you know, it's about uh, starting the conversation and thinking your way through the process. And again, I think... Uh, the way i'll put it you gave people a bit of a crash course here today and hopefully you know there's some people watching and uh, they're thinking you know i we are struggling with processing this data and and determining you know what are the right kpis how do we measure it what's the life cycle of that what's the visualization in that but i i think we all agree david that maybe as a final thought that just data can be a very powerful uh, force in our companies today to make sure that we're making the right business decisions correct Absolutely,
1: and you know, just keep in mind, uh, Speria is not just uh, software uh, development projects. We can also help your company grow in these areas of being more data driven as well.
0: Well, David, thanks again. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you. hope to Hope to see you soon. Great job. And as we uh, wrap up, I just wanted to indicate that this is a part of today was part of an ongoing series of uh, live broadcasts available on replay too. By the way. Uh, that we're doing for local business people to help educate, uh, inform, and kind of empower them to uh, to create uh, modern, uh, dynamic businesses that are are very sustainable in in all senses of the word. So a big thank you to Spiria for stepping up today and helping us with this topic. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, on behalf of all my colleagues at Ottawa Business Journal and our sponsors today, Spiria, thanks for joining us. Hope to see you real soon. Stay safe. Bye bye.